0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us through the Spirit your Word, Lord, that you have of of old uh, inspired men chosen to be able to record for us these very scriptures in which we read tonight. And we pray, Lord, as your children, that we would be attentive to your words, that we would incline our ears towards what you are saying to us. Let us not escape from your sight, but let them be kept close to our hearts, that we would meditate on it day and night, finding our hope not in this world in which we live, but the word in which you have given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Obadiah, uh, verses 1 to 9. is God's holy and errant infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard the report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. For you live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling. You say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how could you be destroyed? Would you not steal only enough for themselves? If grape-gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding." Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Obadiah is a book of great tension. Like mentioned before, it's that Thanksgiving meal with the two uncles that always constantly fight with each other. It is a story with a rich history of wrong done from one side to another. But the one in the wrong believes they have done nothing wrong. That tension which can be cut with a knife. The example of that car ride home and the husband of the wife who support different Rival teams, and they both make the playoffs, and they finally go and watch this game. But only one can win. Only one team did win. And that car ride home, that tension in that car. And Obadiah is that story in the book of what finally did happen to that tension. Last time we tried to wrap our heads around this tension, and I think the best summary, he said, I could have missed a whole lot of sermon and you would have given me all this cliff notes. But yet we find ourselves here. The best summary that we find is given in Genesis chapter 25. Where these two, these two children are struggling in the, the wombs of Rebekah. And she inquires in the Lord and she asks him, why is this happening to me? And the Lord responds and he says, two nations are in your womb. The two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were complete, behold, there were two twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, and they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So they called his name, his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Here you have two brothers who would become two nations, Edom and Israel. A history of ups and downs. And we begin with a very simple instruction. The first words tell us where this is going. Here we have Obadiah, the worshippers of God, is another way to be able to translate that. But a person named Obadiah, a prophet. And he says, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard the report of the Lord and of a messenger who has sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. And here God sends a message directly to those in Edom. And he says, you will be small. You will be utterly despised. Now, although the Hebrew word is not the same, I think we can make a connection in the English translation that here Esau despises his birthright, which is the promise and the inheritance of God. And here we see that now, years later, it's not Edom who will despise the Lord, but the Lord who will despise Edom. You see here the power of God over all the nations, that here God is the one who has said, I am the one who is going to make you small. That over the course of history, we see nations come and rise and fall. And we can look at many historical factors of what the case is, but ultimately we see that it's the Lord's hand that does this. It's the Lord's sovereign power and might over all nations, So what do we see that God warns the people of Edom? The first thing is the enemy's disdain in verses 3 and 4. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You you live in this clefts of the rock, your lofty dwelling, and you're saying in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like an eagle, Though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Here Edom has puffed up chests in their pride and boasting of what a great nation they are, what a secure nation they are. We have all the securities that we need. We find ourselves high up in the rock where people cannot reach us. We dwell amongst the eagles. No one can bring us down from this high place. But as the author of Proverbs writes, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. James Montgomery Boyce said, The root of pride is saying that we can do without God. And so too, this is what the people of Edom are saying, that we are a great and mighty nation because of who we are, where we find ourselves. This mountain in which we dwell, Mount uh, Edom, Thomas Manton says what James and Gary Boyce said, Other sins are against God's law, but pride is against God's sovereignty. What you say is, not only we can do without God, but God is not sovereign. We are sovereign over God. We saw that we are blessed on this mound because God has given it to them. It's their possession, and God tells them that He has given it to them. But where do they sit and they boast... Not in the Lord's gift to them. They boast in themselves. They stand on top of this mountain t- taunting all and say, who can bring us down? No one can defeat us. But then what happens? God speaks. He utters that other people not, might not be able to make you bring you down, but he says that he will bring you down. He will bring you down from this high place of boasting. He will make them small and despised. Second thing that we see in this passage is the enemies deceived. In verse 7, all your allies have driven to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. And Edom, the enemies of God's people have deceived themselves. They have also been deceived by others. You see here a picture of double crossing between all these surrounding nations. They are willing to go back on their word. Now we will not consider this a long time, but see how in verse 7 it fits with verse 1. Though we have heard a report from the Lord, a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Here the Lord is dealing with Edom. But how is he dealing with Edom? He's using other nations that are around him. Just as he is making other nations small in Edom, he might be raising up other nations to be able to use them for his purposes and his wills. His will, it's a mind-boggling thing for us to be able to wrap our head around this. The God uses nations rising and falling to be able to accomplish His means. The third thing that we see in this passage is the enemy's destruction in verses 5 and 6 and then 8 and 9. And this is where we'll spend the majority of our time tonight. I know you got your hopes up, thinking three points already. This is going to be a shorter sermon. Well, we shall see. But in verses 5 and 6, Obadiah writes, If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you would have been destroyed. Would you not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. The first part is, is there destruction found in these two images, a thief and grape gatherers? But the, the idea carries the same premise that normally you would go in as a thief and you would only steal ab- what you were able to uh, use for yourself. That You would only get what you could carry, what you could eat. But here the image is not that they will come through and only take what they need. They will come through and leave nothing. But secondly, in verses 8 and 9, Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom, and an understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will cut off by slaughter. Now we see here a specific term used throughout the whole Bible. That day, that day that is coming where that destruction and desolation, they will face the judgment of God. Now, often this is referred to or called the day of the Lord. Now, depending on when you think Obadiah is written, if you believe he's written early as the ninth century, this might be one of the first times this phrase is really used. Isaiah uses it in chapter 13, where he says, The day of the Lord comes cruel and wrath and fierce anger to make the land of desolation and destroy its sinners from it. From the stars of the heavens and their consolation will give, not give their light, and the sun will be dark, it is rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant, and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make the people more rare than fine gold, and the mankind of the gold of Orfer. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble. And the earth will be shaken out of its place. The wrath of the Lord of hosts in that day of his fierce anger. This day where the pride will finally stand before one who is greater than they claim to be. This day where those people, everyone will face that final judgment. And I'm sure many people think that this is merely the God of the Old Testament. This is not the God of the New Testament. Well, listen to what Paul says to New Testament Christians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now concerning the times and of seasons, brothers, you have no need uh, anything written to you for yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is place, peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Again, you see this co- connections to Obadiah where he speaks of thieves coming, pillaging and plundering, gape gather, gather, gatherers, coming like a night. And here Paul is picking up on these themes of that day that, that, where the thief will come in a night. Or again, Paul writes in Second Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Or even not just from the Apostle Paul, but what about the mouth of Jesus? Look at Matthew chapter twenty-five or John chapter John, chapter John. John chapter five. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. That when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That day is coming. Or even when we consider that great and glorious verse, which many people know, John 3.16, speaks not only salvation found in Christ, but condemnation and judgment found through Christ as well. John 3.16, we know it all too well, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But continue to listen to what Jesus speaks. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does not, does what is true, comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. But another way to be able to write this is whoever believes in him is not judged. But whoever does not believe is judged already. That here we speak of Christ's salvation found through the rebirth of the Holy Spirit, found in John 3 as the wind blows wherever He wills, or condemnation, judgment through Christ. And that's exactly what we see echoes throughout the Old Testament from, uh, from Obadiah throughout. We see that it's those who are proud who are going to be brought low. Again, Obadiah 9 and uh, verses 8 and 9, the wise in Edom, the mighty in Edom. This is exactly what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 1 claiming to be wise they became fools there's many people in the world that claim to be wise they might have uh, numbers at, uh, letters after their name they've spent years in school studying and they claim to be wise but indeed they're in fact fools many people who boast not in maybe their credentials through university, but their life in which they live, their credentials and what they have learned. Whereas Isaiah writes in chapter 2, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud, and lofty against that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. This is the effects of the fall. The Cain's line seeks to be able to boast in their wickedness. You thought Cain was bad, Lamech said. You should see how bad I am. Their desires go from glorifying God to be able to glorify themselves. What did they say in the Tower of Babel? Come, let us build a city, a tower with its top as to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed all over the face of the earth. And we think and know that pride comes before a fall. But often what happens is the fall just produces more pride. Look at how good I got up. Look at how well I can do this. Well, that's exactly what the author of Proverbs continually says: Pride goes before destruction, the haughty spirit before a fall. Is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Now, we think this fall might be just merely a small fall. But man spends his whole life building himself up. And the one who continually tries to build himself up and boasts in his pride and is arrogant will have a great fall, not just a small fall in these life, but a great fall at that end, at that day. Now, we can think of those in the world who boast of pride. Celebrate it. Who have exchanged the truth about the immortal God to worship creation rather than the creator. Claiming to be wise, they are in fact fools. But even in, when we look at others, we can almost boast that we are not as proud as they are. And in fact, we are becoming the one who is proud. We boast and we say, well, we're not as proud as they. And we exalt ourselves in our humility. <laughs> this false sense of humility where we're boasting in and of ourselves. But we need to find out that it's not proud that is the way of the kingdom, but it's humility that's the way of the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now we can talk about what it is to be a little child. We can have an image in our mind what it is to to come to Christ as little children, but here he tells us exactly what it means to be able to come to Christ as a little child. He says, whoever humbles himself like this child. The example is that the way of the kingdom is that you come in all humility, not boasting in your humility, which is proud and arrogant, becoming in all humility boasting in Christ. James says in chapter 4 verse 10, "Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you." Again, when we compare each other, we can always find someone else to be able to make ourselves look better and greater. We can have boasting matches about how we are as human beings. We do not humble ourselves before each other. We humble ourselves before the Lord. And once we realize who the Lord is, then we cannot but humble ourselves. We cannot walk into God's presence in a proud and boastful manner, boasting of what we have done. When we meet the God of the Bible, we can but only fall on our knees and cry for forgiveness and mercy and grace. We can only approach the throne of grace through humility. Whereas Peter writes in First Peter chapter 5. We're to clothe ourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. This is not merely something we can say, well, that is for someone else to do. Every one of us who calls ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, should be clothed in humility. Well, that's not my personality. I'm a, a strong-willed person. That's not my personality. I'm someone who is a front. I'm just sharing the truth. But in fact, what we're doing is we're not doing it in all humility. He continues and says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The truth is there's not going to be any proud people in heaven because if you go, you're not going to make it into heaven if you're proud. You're not going to fall on your knees if you're proud. You're not going to come to the cross if you're proud. A doctor only, a, a sick person only goes to a doctor. If you're boasting around, walking around saying, I'm not sick, then we would have no need to go to a doctor. He continues, Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Isn't it interesting? He goes from those who are proud and lofty and arrogant to those who are Christians, and he says, those who are Christians then have cares, anxieties. They realize how weak they are and how much they need God and how much God cares for them. And when we really understand this, we really understand where we stand There is no boasting. None of us would even be able to boast. Paul writes in Ephesians, It is by grace you have been saved. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in him. A.W. Tozer puts it this way, walking in humility isn't focused on what we are not. Rather, it's declaring what God is. Walking in humility isn't focusing on what we are not. Rather, it's declaring what God is. He continues and says, the weak man is not a human mouse, afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life in himself. Nothing. In God, everything. If he knows well that the world will never see him as God sees him, and he has stopped caring. Humility is not merely just thinking, oh, I'm just not humble, I'm not proud. Humility is realizing our stance before God. That in ourselves we have nothing to bring. It's only to the cross of Christ we cling. That in God we have everything. What is more humbling than that? It's not merely that we stop being proud. But we turn to the one who humbled himself that we are to have this mind among ourselves. As Paul writes in Philippians, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We can read through Obadiah and think, of course, they're standing on top of a mountain boasting, who will bring us down? But don't we do this in our life? Boast in ourselves, in what we have done, what we have accomplished. Instead of following the example of Christ in all humility, who considered himself, though he's in the form of God, did not count a quality a thing to be grasped. What does he do? He empties himself coming as a servant, as a likeness of men. But even that more, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And we are called to be like Christ, following his steps. That we are called to be humble, walk in this humility, close ourselves in this humility. There's a short hymn that is unknown and unsung, written by Sir Henry Williams. Baker, just two standards, but he says, I am not worthy, holy Lord, that thou should, shouldest come to me. Speak but the word, one gracious word, can set the sinner free. I am not worthy, cold and bare, lodging of my soul. How canest thou Dungine to enter there. Lord, speak and make me whole. Amen. As we read, we should not read this and think of ourselves as the Pharisee boasting as we pray to the Lord. We should read this book and read and consider the publican. Who cried out with a loud voice beating his breast, not even looking up to heaven. But he cries out, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And so too we enter the Christian life and we walk the Christian life, and so too we pray that we would end the Christian life in all humility before a loving and sovereign Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word, Lord, that we are revealed. And we see of our own sinful self. We see of our pride that riseth before the fall. But we pray, Lord, that as we fall, we fall not in that day of judgment, but we fall to our knees. We fall before you, the gracious and loving God. Help us, Lord, to be able to see this pride in our life. Forgive us when we have boasted in ourselves and not of you. Help us, Lord, not merely to get rid of this pride, but to have a true sense of humility before you. Lord, considering not who we are, but who you are, and that you are our everything. Help us to do this, Lord, for we know that this is a mighty work of the Spirit that can only be accomplished through him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.